From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm Peter Hartlaub, pop culture critic of the San Francisco Chronicle, here with Mick LaSalle for Movies with Mick LaSalle. I have to ask you, Mick, are you thinking about your top 10 list all year? Does it kind of sneak up on you? I wind up thinking about it all year, I have to say. Yeah, at a certain point, as soon as I see a great movie, I start thinking, is this this going to be in my top 10? And sometimes I even think... I hope this is in my top 10. I hope I remember this, you know, for my top 10. Yeah, critics think about this stuff. I feel like we get along really well all year. Like, we have great hallway discussions. Yes. And then at the end of the year, our top 10 lists come out, and they couldn't be more different. (laughs) That's true, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that's on your list, I just noticed, and uh, it's A Star is Born. And that really came close to making mine. and, And in a way, you know, I kind of, kind of wish it, it did because there's some things wrong with that movie but nothing that's wrong with that movie matters yeah i read your review and i agreed totally i could yeah. chop that movie apart but i think that and black panther are the two movies i'm going to watch the most for the rest of my life that came out of this year i enjoyed it I, yeah it was and, entertainment and star is born has one of my favorite scenes in the in in the entire year and that's the scene where she joins him on stage for the first time Oh. And that's just that's just exhilarating. Shallows. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I downloaded it on my uh, my uh, iPhone. Yeah. Yep. Well, Chronicle Arts and Entertainment editor Leba Hertz returns discussing both of your 2018 top ten Datebook podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, Leba, it's that time of year again. That's right. I'm washing my floors and pouring <laughs> water all over them. You got to see what I'm doing with my floors. But I have my whole house is getting done. But anyway, it's the time of year that I'm talking about is that it's top 10 time. And, and you know, it, it, it's funny. Uh, I was working on my top 10 and I was working on my top 10. And, and I realized that there's something almost kind of like crazy the way critics work on their top 10. Critics work on their top 10 like like a Supreme Court justice working on a decision that actually means something is going to change people's <laughs> lives. I mean, I, I sit there and I change it and I change it and I change it and I massage it and then I move this or this as if like this is a matter of mm-hmm. tremendous consequence. But everybody, I think that everybody feels about their top 10 like this is... I don't know, like some kind of form of self-expression and some kind of version of the truth that we want to have out there. Right. And there's a, it's so funny because, uh, and then also you get insulting to your fellow colleagues and say things like, why did you put Roma on the list? Yeah, let's look at these crazy choices that Peter had. Which no, goes back I'll, to the water on the floor, by the way. No, actually, I'll talk to Peter. Uh, no, never mind. We'll, we'll, we, we already covered that. Uh, no, this is this, it's interesting looking at some of the, the choices I... Like I'm looking at Walter Walter's top ten, Walter mm, at Diego, and uh, actually he has some really good things on here that are not on my list. He has some things on it that, I, that are not on my list, and he even has some things that I'm not crazy about. But like his number one, I think was my number eleven, and that's the favorite. Which is a very good uh, movie this year. That was close to mine too. I think uh, the favorite, which is about. Um the Court of Queen Anne, starring uh, Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone. Yep. Uh, which is a really good movie, but I felt the last 10, 15 minutes kind of lost it. And it wasn't the fault of the movie, it was the fault of history, actually. 
Uh, yes, when yeah, Rachel yeah. Weisz um, yes. essentially has to disappear, and you that's just right. really lost a, a major impact in the movie. That is true because you know that that that's very interesting about that because mm -hmm. one of the things about that movie that people are talking mm -hmm. about is who's the star of the movie, mm -hmm. and so who should be nominated for best actress, who should be nominated for best supporting mm -hmm. actress, and I think that that the sag that you feel mm -hmm. about twenty minutes before the finish and. I still get, I think I gave it a little man jumping out of the you chair. You did give it a jumping, yeah. yeah. So I thought it was a terrific movie. But there's a little bit of a sag going on. I think that the sag that happens is that the person that actually is the star of the movie, I think it's Rachel Weiss, disappears from the movie, mm -hmm. which is in a way then the case where she's not the star of the movie, but it's not Olivia Colman. I mean, it, it, it seems to shift between Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss, who are like, who are like uh, the Dustin Hoffman and John Voight of Midnight Cowboy, mm -hmm. you know, where you don't, there is really, neither of them is the star. Or we could go into a movie this year, which again, although they did something I think correct, is Green Book, which both uh, Mick and I have in our top 10. Yeah. And both Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali, you can make a case for both of them being best actor. Yeah, you can. Um, that's a movie about the, uh, uh, the Italian uh, bouncer who yep. essentially takes on the job as chauffeur for Mahersha Ali's character, who's a jazz performer going down to the South. And the right. title refers to the places that were safe for African-Americans. It was like a, it was a guide. In the 1960s, it was, a guide. It was, it was a green, but, green book um, guide, yeah. The, the thing is, uh, most people are pushing Vigo for best actor, yeah. and that's what the Academy is pushing. So yes. that's what you go on Mahershala to supporting actor rather than splitting the vote between the two of them. Well, it, look, it... In this case, it, it's a it's 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 an obvious though close mm -hmm. call, uh, because yeah. the movie is is um, it, it it's following Viggo Mortensen. It starts with Viggo Mortensen. It sort of ends with both of them, mm -hmm. but before it ends with both of them, it also ends with Viggo Mortensen. It doesn't, you know, it follows him. It, it's his story, yeah. but still, yeah, it's a close one. But you know, there would be mm -hmm. no point in nominating Mahershala Ali for for. Best and, actor would just you would just screwed up for me. Both most them. of the conversation is Vigo, you know what yeah. performance he gives. Oh, he, he's he, terrific. To me, he's terrific in the movie. Well, you know it's funny. I was, mm. I was, in fact, I was uh, A. O. Scott mm. wrote. He's I think from it was, the New I York think, Times. Critic, yeah, yeah by the, the way. New York Times. I think A. O. Scott in the New York Times. I think it was A. O. Scott. And if it's not A. O. If Scott, sorry, sorry, Tony, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was A. O. Scott in the New York Times said that the movie is that that the character played by Viggo Mortensen is is uh, Italian stereotype, and um, which I thought was very funny because, uh, yeah, maybe it's Italian, stere Italian stereotype if it weren't true, but it, it, it's actually true because don't forget, he's not playing an Italian-American guy living in Manhattan in 2018. Um, I would say, you know, this is a guy in 1962. I'm a little too young to remember 1962, fortunately, but I can remember... I can remember a little 64, a little bit of 65, and I can tell you that this guy, you know, I mean, every Sunday, uh, Uncle Uncle uh, Vito, actually Vito didn't play cards, Uncle Nunzi, <laughs> Uncle Jimmy, Uncle Jerry, Uncle Dominic, Uncle Freddy, uh, they all used to play, and my father used to all play Pinochle in my grandmother's you didn't place. Have, you didn't have Uncle Shia? No, no, Uncle Hyman, <laughs> no, no, just all these guys, and... Um, yeah, and Uncle Vic didn't play cards either. But anyway, <laughs> uh, all these guys played Pinochle. And absolutely, Viggo Mortensen could have walked into that Pinochle game and nobody would think that he was Danish. <laughs> <laughs> nobody. He could pass. So, you know, it's not, a it's not a stereotype if it's true. And also, you know, 
they, they got so many things right about that movie. But anyhow, we'll get we'll get to that when we get to the I list. But let's look at let's, you. you don't want to look at crazy things that Walter thinks are good. Okay, um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, what's your question? I was going to go back to actually you and Me? what was your number one movie of the year? Oh, you want to do that? you okay. want something off the wall? Oh well, but not that it's, you, he's wrong. It's just off the wall. Okay, you want to do? We'll do. Okay, we'll go through my top ten. Sure, why not? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, we're not leaving leaving him anything. I mean, that's going to go to yours. It's going to be like uh, yeah, there's mine. Yeah, we're going to we're, we're moving towards the climax. Too, okay. Think, yeah. Anyway, okay, and also too, we're starting with number one. Number one, Vox Lux. I think it's a great movie. Could you tell us about it's about? Yes, it's a it's a movie about um, it's a movie about the 21st century is what the movie's about. But but ostensibly in in terms of story, it's a movie about um, a young girl i mean she's like 14 who is in a school shooting and she's almost killed but she survives writes a song about it it becomes a hit and then this becomes a catapult for her to become to have a real uh, a real career and then the movie skips ahead about 17 years and now she's sort of like a lady gaga type star and she's in her she's like 31 years old and she's played by Natalie Portman but the movie is really about the kind of moral horror of the 21st century and it's also a, a, a movie about the degradation of culture and it's it's just a a wonderful I don't know it's just a, it's, a, it's it's what's really great about it it's it's made by a guy who's 30 years old so the 21st century is about like all he knows and like 9-11 was a long, long, long time ago. 9-11 for him is sort of like, well, it's not quite, but like Bobby Kennedy getting killed for me or something. It's sort of like Bobby Kennedy getting killed for you in terms of mm-hmm. age. Um, and uh, so this is his formative thing. And, and he's, he's speaking from inside the world of the 21st century and saying, there's something really wrong with this. And there's something wrong with the feeling of it. And and there's something wrong. There's, there's something ugly about this and strange, and that it's manifesting in acts of violence and, and strange things. Anyway, I thought it was just a, I thought it was a great movie, and a very harsh and strange movie that not everyone will like, but I, I thought it was terrific. Let's 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 go back and forth. Tell me your your top number My one number movie. My number one movie is Black Klansman, <clears throat> which, by the way, is also I believe G. Allen Johnson, another Chronicle uh, movie uh, reviewer. Yeah, he liked it too. Uh, it's uh, Spike Lee's movie, of course, based on a true story. But it's not true because he makes a point of that, of a uh, of a black cop who uh, becomes a member of the Ku Klux Klan, and he's got his um, fake guy played by Adam Driver as going in as the as the guy. Right. And it's just so it's, the so right so the cop does it over joins over the phone and then he sends the right. white guy. Yeah. And um, what happens is it's kind of this like. In a way, very jaunty movie, and, you're, and it's going along great. And you still know that Spike's making a point here, but then he does something at the end that just slams the gut, and he does yeah. a coda of present day. I'm not going to even give you, it away. Well, you know, you know this, is, this is something that he does. I mean, mm-hmm. like, he, he rolls with what's, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, do you ever see, do you ever watch on YouTube the Cannes Film Festival press conference no. where he talks about this movie. Oh, it's it's really great. Mm-hmm. He curses so much in this thing. Yeah. It's like really funny. And then he apologizes for it. But he was like, because he's so mad about, you know, where the country yeah. uh, seemed to be going in, in the spring. But um, 
he did something similar when um, he was about to do 25th Hour and 9-11 mm-hmm. happened. And he decided, because he was about just about to start filming it, mm-hmm. to incorporate 9-11 yeah. into the movie. And, and that, gives, you know, that, that's, that gives things a real immediacy. In a way, I put that movie on my top 10, too. I think if it weren't for the coda... It would actually just be a very good movie. Yeah, exactly. But the coda, it, it's a very good, very, he's making a point, but the coda just punches you in the gut. And I just remember I was bawling after that movie. I mean, I was like nonstop, could not stop crying. But you and, do that all the time, no, though. Not like no, this, okay. not like that. Okay. Not like that. I mean, I mean, I'll cry, I'll go, <laughs> sniffle, I'm done. You know, but uh, <laughs> but this was like, <laughs> But it, it's just terrific. It's well acted. It's an ensemble cast, in my opinion. Um, I think Adam Driver is superb. Uh, it, I just think overall, it just to me, is every time someone says to me, what movie should I see? It's the first thing that hits my mind. It was, so for me, a no-brainer to put it as my number one well, movie. Well, and, and I would say, even if I, you know, I say, well, you know, I think it's a very good movie, and then the coda makes it a great movie. The coda is actually in the movie, and... Mm-hmm. And that is a you know it's a big part of its right. impact, but it's really there. I see Mr. Adiego had that as number eight, mm-hmm. and what did Nicholas Al have it on? Uh, oh wait, did, oh Peter Hartlob left it off. Yeah, that guy. Well, he left that off and Green Book off. Everybody else had those two. Well, you know, Green, I mean, Green Book was down on my list, but it it made it at the mm-hmm. at the last minute. Um, anyhow, anyhow, so oh, this is me. I had it at number nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so I guess we'll talk about my second favorite of the year. That is Disobedience. Disobedience. Okay, now Disobedience, I love this movie. Now, this is a movie. I'll just give two words Rachel Weiss. Well, Rachel Weiss. <laughs> yeah, it's the, or the two Rachels. Um, Rachel Weiss, Rachel McAdams, and this is a movie about a Jewish woman who goes. She's living in New York. Orthodox she's, Jewish. Yeah, she goes back to her Orthodox community from which she's from, where she's not, you know, she's not Orthodox anymore because her father, who's the rabbi, died, and she, so she's there. And that's she, just London, where she goes back. London. To. Yeah, she goes back to London. She reunites with um, old friends, and things happen. Now, this is where being a film critic, as opposed to like a normal person, really comes in handy. Everybody knows who went to see this movie, except me, knew what the movie was about before they walked in. Because there's no way to sell this movie if you say to people, oh yeah, how would you like to see a movie about a woman who goes back to London and hangs out with all her Orthodox Jewish friends? I think that's going to bring in about seven people into the no, theater. No, it's bring in all of Manhattan, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and Tel Aviv will play well, too. Well, it might. It might. Not Jerusalem, but Tel Aviv. Yeah, but you know, so you want to get a real crowd out of Manhattan and a real crowd out of Tel Aviv, tell them it's about, it's a lesbian love story. And all of a sudden now there's more people who are going. But anyway, I didn't know what this movie was about. I didn't know. All I knew, it was a movie called Disobedience. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. And, and it was Disobedience, and I had to go to a theater at like 2 o'clock and go watch Disobedience. That's all I knew. And I wish that I could replicate that experience for the for the readers but there's no way i mean i did you know i i i'm looking at every single advertisement every single thing there's no way you can go see this movie so i was watching this movie and i had no idea it was going to happen because the two women don't even have any kind of physical contact and for like 35 minutes 40 minutes into the movie i thought it was just about rachel vice anyway but aside from that it's just really really good acting 
beautifully filmed by um, and directed by Sebastian Lelio, who has made uh, he made uh, a bunch of good movies. He made that movie. Oh wow, he made that movie about the woman who is around sixty who becomes single again and goes out. I forgot the name of it, but it's is from, that the most blithe stand there. No, 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 no. This is a, no, no. He's from South America. I think it's a Chilean filmmaker, oh, okay. and he also made the the movie about. I'm pretty sure he made the movie about the uh, trans transgender uh, woman oh. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forgot the name of that one too. Anyway, but anyway, terrific director. I love the way he films it. He films it so starkly. Everybody is lit in such a way kind of like the way first reformed is lit so that every line in everybody's face is apparent it's like almost everybody looks almost green but for some reason everybody looks great at the same time and uh just real sense of of the the of place and just thoroughly enjoyable story both women are terrific great women's story so i loved it i love that movie i think i'm the only one who had that on, on any yeah, list. list yeah Oh, well. So my number two movie is Green Book, which we talked about, so I'll go straight to number three. And I have that movie that a few people, I won't say who thought was a drama, when they heard the title. Oh, what was that? Death of Stalin. Oh, okay. And Death of Stalin is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's by the director of Veep, or the creator-director of Veep, who's, uh, what's his name, uh, uh an, 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 oh, uh, it's um, a tag. Iannucci, something. Uh, Iannucci. Yeah. And it's a movie that you don't laugh out loud, but throughout the whole movie, your brain is laughing out loud. And all you do when you come out of there is you just keep thinking about all these scenes. And what happens is there's two two elements to the story. It's, it's people speak in the language or accent of their nationality. Right. So you have the British speaking, the Americans, a couple of Russians and Germans. Let's put it this way. Steve Buscemi plays Khrushchev. Yeah, okay? and he plays it just like Steve Buscemi. <laughs> just, 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 except, and Jeffrey Tambor, bo- except bald. That's Jeffrey it. Tambor is Molotov, right? Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, Tambor is Molotov. Mo- no, he's not Molotov, is he? I thought he was Molotov. But anyway, no, he's somebody but, and, else. And, and, and who's the guys from the Monty Python? I mean, the whole thing is just... He might be Molotov. It's depraved. It has scenes in there that are going to like, you know... Tell, so good. You, you know, really, really kind of ugly... But boy, it's funny. It's it's so funny. It's so funny. It's funny. Yeah, it's uh, I you know, this I guess this is probably as good a time as any to just mention that this was I probably should have led with this, but this is a very good year, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why it takes so long to figure out the top ten is because there are so many good movies and Death of Stalin, I think probably would have been in my top twenty this year, but easily in another year could have been in my top 10. There are just so many good good movies. We are, we're in a good period for movies and I think we're in a good period for movies because we're in a contentious period of American history. And even though the movies are not all dealing with that contentious period of American history, for some reason, contention has a way of upping everybody's game. I don't know why. Uh, there's, I don't know the reason for why that should be. All I know is that in previous eras of contention, such as... Uh, the 1930s, especially the early 30s or late 60s and early 70s, where the country was kind of in turmoil and also at loggerheads, uh, there just happened, it happened to be great eras for movies, even though not every movie in the Depression was about the Depression by any means. So there, there's something uh, going on with that, whereas in periods of consensus, uh, 80s and 90s, and even like the 40s, like the early 40s with the war, tends to be just okay, you know, okay movies. 
So we're in a good period right now. So what are we up to? We're up to number three? We're up to number three. Yeah, I, I, I guess my first three, and by the way, I, I, I'm not doing this to be like, you know, different, but it looks like my, there's another one that's not on anybody else's list, The Oath. You know, it's funny with The Oath is I never got to see it, and I tried to really? look. I never got a screener. They or, never sent they one. They never sent they one. They never thought so, it would be anything. And I actually tried to see. Maybe it was already on Netflix or HBO, and it wasn't there. So I, you know, that's one that just because I think possibly one of the reasons is because of omission. So let me explain what The Oath is then. Uh, it's Ike, Ike Barinholtz plays a guy uh, who is hosting Thanksgiving in his house. He is... Uh, politically left of center i would say he's married to tiffany haddish in the movie and i think they have a kid in the movie um and he has his brother and and his brother and his his parents are kind of unpolitical but maybe leaning to the right but his brother is definitely conservative and his girlfriend is a way out right winger and so it's going to be a contentious Thanksgiving to begin with, but it takes place during a real period of crisis because the president, who's a fictional president in this, is is has asked everybody to take an oath of allegiance, not even to the country, but to him personally, which is straight out of you know Nazi Germany. And most people are taking the oath because I think you you have to pay a small fine or something. This like you get preferential treatment if you take the oath. So you know, Nike Barinholtz is like you cannot take the oath, and everybody around him is taking the oath. So it's about this family thing, and then it goes from there into the land, into the stratosphere. This is a movie that is really directly about what is happening with families in the United States, and. Um, but it just takes it to such an extreme and so beyond what you expect. So it's kind of like it's a movie that sort of starts on 10, but then goes to like 18. <laughs> and um, I, I just thought it was terrific. The funny thing about this, I was reading I, an interview with like Barinholtz, and and he said that people are coming up to him and saying, you are playing me in the movie. <laughs> and uh, which which is really funny because when I... I I, can't, I saw the movie. I said to my wife, I said, yeah, Ike Barinholtz is playing me in, in this movie. <laughs> and uh, I didn't realize that everybody feels that. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people feel that way. I just thought it was terrific. And, I, and wow, what a movie for 2018, too, you know, historically where we are. So this is going to be a real, you know, this is really one for the time capsule. So what, do you, what did you have? Uh, what's so your? Number three was Death of, was Death of Stalin. So now I had Green Book at number right, two. Right, so then you have this number one. Number four is, um, oh, number four is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yeah, now did that make anybody else's list? I don't know. I, I no. don't think it did. It and was Melissa McCarthy as was... Leah's Rail and Richard E. Grant as her sidekick. Yeah. Um, a biopic about this woman named Lee Israel, who is kind of an annoying, obnoxious individual who is trying to make a living as a writer. And among other things, she wants to write like autobiographies of people that nobody, biographies of people nobody cares about anymore. And she discovers a letter written by, um, was it Dorothy Parker? I can't remember. No, uh, um, no it's not Dorothy. It was somebody. Oh, maybe it is. Anyway, so she decides she's going to write in the style of this person and sell them. Yeah. And she comes up with, and she's really great at writing these letters, the letters and everything. Great, yeah. And it's a scam. And she gives a tremendous performance. He gives a great performance. It's I found it a highly enjoyable movie as well. 
um, about this woman, uh, and it's uh, I just just it was just it hit me that I really like this movie. I liked it too. Richard E. Grant is great. Uh, Melissa McCarthy's mm-hmm. really terrific in it too. And this is another one. Almost made my top mm-hmm. ten list. It's just a very good year. Mm-hmm. So that that was it. And then um, okay, my fourth. Is and by the way, we'll repeat our mm-hmm. top tens at the end. But my fourth is Blind Spotting. I thought that was wonderful. Uh, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Is um, did anybody else like I it? I have it, I believe. Yeah, I have good, good Oakland movie. Yeah, I have it at number nine. Number nine, number, number nine. nine, number nine. Yeah, I, I, uh, I just thought it was just, I just thought it was brilliant. And I, I love the, mm-hmm. the story construction of it because they keep on doing the same trick. Um, and then they turn the trick around on you. They keep on bringing situations to a point where the tension is almost unbearable. And then they end the scene just as you're worrying about what's going to happen. And then the next scene you find out that everything worked out all right. And they keep on doing that. They do that two or three, four times. And then the fifth time they do it, the next scene that you is not a relief. The next scene is actually even more tension. And... and um, uh, just wonderful movie, really beautiful. Just wonderfully written, wonderfully directed. The director gets deserves some some love here too because um, everybody concentrates on the two guys who wrote it, who are in it, and they're great. And it they're two terrific. stars are Raphael Casal, who some of you may and have heard the, of, but and, the other one is Davy Diggs, Diggs yeah. and you all have heard of him from, of course, Hamilton and the TV series Blackish. Yeah. I also want to uh, the, the the young woman is terrific. I thought um, in there, and also. The cop Ethan Embry. Oh a, yeah, it's a it's kind of his performance as is overlooked and just yeah, it it would be overlooked because when you watch him, you say, oh wow, you know mm-hmm. that that's that's the cop. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like the old thing of like people say, James Caan in The Godfather, mm-hmm. Al Pacino in The Godfather. Fredo and the Godfather. I mean, nobody even thinks that that guy was acting. They just think yeah. he's Fredo. You know what I'm saying? And they also have, there's also another character in that movie, The City of Oakland. Oh, I don't believe it. No, well, movies, oh, settings are not characters. But this setting was so interesting. What they do with the bar trains and everything—it's yeah. it's actually so. You know, for Bay Area people, mostly probably listening to this podcast, the you know you're going to like it because of the Oakland aspect as well. Yeah, isn't that funny? You know, it's funny. It's uh, San Francisco, Oakland. I mean, the, the Bay Area is you know this big area. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. the it's like one of the it's fifth mm-hmm. media, media market mm-hmm. in the country. I think it's number five. So it's huge it's part of the two, country. Isn't it? No, not number two. No, Washington D.C. I think is number two, isn't it? No, L.A., Chicago. Okay, Chicago's number two. New York is number one, obviously. L.A. number three. Okay, wait. Well, I think we're fifth. I, I think, think we're four. You think we're four? Yeah, we're fifth. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, in any case, we're big. And if you're listening from another place, we really are big. We're big. <laughs> um, but it's strange when when people in New York are watching a movie and it's set in New York, they feel nothing. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's New York. They just take it for granted New York's in a movie. People in San Francisco, people in Oakland, people in the Bay Area in general get all happy when they see San Francisco or they see Bay Area. It's like, oh, oh, there it is. It's really, it's strange, but it's... It depends. It depends on where they're filming in New York. So, like, if they're filming in your neighborhood, you're like, oh, my God. And if it's not your neighborhood, it's like, I don't know where that is. <laughs> That's true. I mean, if they're... I, I did feel a little... Uh, quiver of delight that Vox Lux was set in Staten Island, which is where I'm and from. And I was so. excited that War of the Worlds by Spielberg was shot in Bayonne, New Jersey, but not a section I lived in, so it sort of lost its <laughs> impact. <laughs> so uh, let's see. So what, so what do we, what do we, oh, so it's my turn or your turn? Uh, 
Oh, you're number five? I'm number. I'm up to five. I'm sort of ahead of you. Um, Black Panther. Black Panther. Wakanda. Yeah, that wouldn't have been in my top 20, but I think it's a very good movie. Oh, it's just, it just, you know. It's it takes, like 20. It's like in my top 30, It I just guess. made the superhero movie, like, sophisticated and, um, you know, well acted. And, 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 I mean, even though it had its, its plot points and everything, it still just felt, it felt more, like, as I said, adult, but yet. It was enjoyable. It was. And I said, you know, we were talking about the San Francisco film critics um, named Michael B. Jordan as supporting actor because the villain cause, cause wasn't... Because we don't... Because the San Francisco film critics don't know what they're talking about. It's no, because the thing is about... It's like, what else Usually is the villains are exaggerated characters and they're usually very one-sided and stuff. And yeah. this guy just had a lot of dimension. No, he, he was good. But who's he up against? He was... Oh, he was up against somebody great. Yeah, Richard E. Grant. <laughs> yeah, Richard E. Grant. Yeah. I mean, can't give me a break. I, mean, that's, that's, that was, that was I brought it for Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Oh, wow. I just enjoyed the fact that, that you know they were giving recognition to some, some, that kind of a movie. You know, to me, to me it, it, it's, it's a superhero movie that's really good. But it's a superhero movie, and I don't like superhero movies particularly. But it's not just I don't like superhero movies particularly, but you know they, they have certain obligatory things in them which I don't think are good, like these just big, long, protracted battles and stuff. So I just, I just, I not only don't like it and don't enjoy it, but I, I just think, I just don't, I just don't think it's good. But apparently, you know, this is not something that this is not an opinion that that's shared by everybody. So as a result of that, I thought for for a a thing that is, I thought it was a, an advance in the form. Put it that way, because I think most superhero movies are really sickly antisocial, and this one isn't. This one actually has is socially responsible. I think most superhero movies are kind of re- reenacting the mentality of uh, like a, a school shooter in a way, you know, like somebody who just shows up and starts killing everybody, as opposed to this was this was you know the black panther guy he was a very responsible decent guy and uh and i think they were using it in in an interesting political way kind of like in a way only more consciously that like wonder woman was to some degree but this time more consciously with something in mind so i think it's a good movie but it, it wouldn't be in my top 20 but still i think it's a very good movie and i gave it a good review but in it's funny we both used our, our fifth choice or the, yeah our fifth choice um for the, a big action movie and mine was mission impossible fallout which i think is not on anybody else's list either but i just thought it was the best i just thought it was the best action movie i'd seen in years um it was, oh, I have, uh, seen, so it, I have seen it on other lists, however. Have you? Yes. So this is Tom Cruise, and it's just the, well, I don't know, the sixth one? I, I don't know what it is. But it's the 102nd, isn't it? I don't know. It's the, it, I, thought it was the, I thought it was the best one yet. Uh, I didn't even like the first one, I think. I don't know. It's, it's so many years ago. I don't even remember. It's amazing how that guy looks. It's really comical. It's, he's crazy. I mean, he's he's crazy. <laughs> watching Tom Cruise is like watching a lunatic. It's in it in the best way. Uh, you know, he's really riding that motorcycle. I I think he might even be flying the helicopter. I'm not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure. Uh, he's he's like 56 years old, and he is doing whatever it is he has to do to his face and whatever it is to mm-hmm. do to his body, so he could still look like he's about 43 or 44. And I, and I don't even know if he's doing something with his hair because his hair was beginning to look a little bit suspect. 
much at this time. But whatever it is, he, he looks great. I don't know how he would look in person. It's just, but anyway, I'm getting off a, a wrong track here, just being fascinated. You know, Tom Cruise is, is two years younger than me, so I look at this guy and I'm saying, this is not possible. <laughs> what is he doing? What, <laughs> what, what is this man? How many calories is he living on? Um, but anyway, I just, it was one action scene after another after another. I thought that just up to the pre credit sequence, other bad action movies would try to make a movie out of just the amount of story in there. And then within the, the stunts and everything, so much invention, so much unexpected, just a, just a total pleasure to watch. And it's only because I watched the movie with my wife that I realized that I have no idea what happened in that movie. Because she kept on asking me, well, what's going on? Why is that happening? Why is that? And I have no idea. But the movie made me not really care. I'm sure if I watched it four or five more times, I might be able to figure it out. <laughs> What do you got for number six? Number six, I have my long shot, which is called American Animals. Oh, yeah, that one. American Animals is about these young guys about what were you thinking. Uh, It's based on a true story. These guys go on some tour, and they discover maybe we should steal this book from a library. And they come up with this extensive heist plan to do this about how much money they can get. And, of course, as you might expect, things go wrong. The twist to this movie is that in the future, all of the people talking about it are the real people, including the person who was held up Uh and whatever. And it just unravels in in just this lunatic way. And as I said, is all you could just hit your head. And they're not poor kids. You know, I think one got a scholarship. One is very rich. It was that kind of a joy ride. And all you can think is slap your head and go, what were you thinking? Yeah, I know. And I just you know, found it a very good little movie that uh, just sort of you know, ended up, um, I'm saying, oh, I love this a lot. It's in my top so ten. As I put it in. Yeah, I, I liked the movie and I, I, I you know, gave it a good review, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, I wasn't in love with it. Yeah. Um, my sixth is uh, kind of representing a bunch mm-hmm. of good foreign films, but I, so I had to mm-hmm. choose. I figured, you know, it's... It's such a good year for American movies. I thought it would be kind of ridiculous to throw three foreign films in there, you know. But I have I should put one, and so this is the badly titled "Let the Sunshine In." It's called uh, "Was a, a Beautiful Interior Sun." Uh, only it's in French. Uh, Le soleil de bel soleil. Yeah, in un bel soleil. Yeah, in un on I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I don't know. I know it's so late. I've only been studying French since I was 13, so I, I have no idea. Um, Julia Pinoche, a uh, woman looking for love, because she's divorced in her 50, like about 50, a professional woman going from one bad relationship to another. And what's really good about the movie is that it's not an American movie. And so as a result, it's not about her eventually meeting Mr. Right or realizing that Mr. Wrong is Mr. Wrong, but that Mr. Previously Discarded was actually Mr. Right. It it doesn't follow any formula. It's just its own thing. And great. That was just terrific. So what do you have for number seven? I have my foreign movie. What do you got? Which is Cold War. Oh, that's good. And, and, And I just want a spoiler alert here is Cold War is like, probably among the consensus the second best foreign film which neither Mick nor I haven't I don't even think our top 20 which is Roma yeah Roma yeah um, people, we both have love that movie yeah, yeah most people love it and the, um, 
Peter Hartlob and Walter and G. Yeah. Allen Johnson, I believe, all have it yeah, in their they, top. Yeah, they, they have it. Yeah, well, in their top Alan has it at uh, at number two. And what does Walter have it as? Uh, Walter. Has it high, too, I Walter believe. is at seven. Yeah. But Cold War. Walter's, Walter's a, a real tough guy. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like yeah. he's like the Francois Truffaut of film critics. <laughs> you know, Francois Truffaut, when he was a film critic, you know, Francois Truffaut <laughs> and Godard were both film critics, right? And from... From the you know from their movies, you would think that Francois Truffaut, who was mm. so emotional and nice, would have been like a really nice critic, and Godard, who's so austere, would have been like a tough critic. Godard was a softy, and and Truffaut was a total hard ass. He he was he didn't like anything. But anyway, and if you know Walter, Walter is a little bit more like like Truffaut, and he's the nicest person you could ever meet. Oh no, he's a great guy. <laughs> I love Walter. Walter's a wonderful. And, and guy. here's Mick, who's just you know. I, He's yeah. like Godard. Yeah, I'm like Godard, yeah. <laughs> well, Cold War is this um, movie by the same director um, who did Ida, which I think yeah. won Best Foreign Picture. And That's what right. it's about is, uh, how to explain this movie in, in briefly, it's about this couple, it's about a couple. in Poland and, and, and music and uh, musicianship. And the woman... A relationship, a relationship over the course but, but of some do, years, but yes, with a right. inflected by the fact that they're in a communist country, and and the music is is very key to their life, and one defects and the other doesn't defect. Don't say anymore. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a very well done movie. I liked it better than either, frankly. But uh, uh, yeah, I this is a the the, the thing that everybody's going to be talking about with regard to this movie is Joanna Kulig, who's a Polish actress. I have been. Uh, kind of following her career uh, for about five or six years. I've, I've been interested in Joanna Kulig, and this is the movie where everybody... This is this is the movie I, I was waiting for her to make, in a way. I mean, I you know, I wouldn't say you I can't wait. call her breakout performance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the movie I was waiting for her. I was waiting... I've been waiting for her to, like, break out, and boy, they, they, mm. they, they just found something for her. She's terrific in this movie, and, and she's... She's the show, you know. She's the thing that people are going to be talking about. I, I like the guy too. Oh, the guy's the great. The guy is great, and, and and the scenes of, you know, what happens after the defection is just remarkable. So. Yeah, yeah. I I I don't I don't think it's a great movie, but I still it's it's a good enough movie that in another year it would have been in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I did really like it. I I have some like little quibbles about it, but you know. I wish if, if all movies were this good, <laughs> I'd be you know it would be a a, a beautiful world. Mm. And uh, what what is let's see my number six? Uh, no, oh no, my number seven is Green Book, which we already talked about. And so then I'll skip to my number eight, and then you'll do your number eight, I guess. Um, First Reformed, which Walter has at number three. I have at number eight. Good for, good for Walter. And and does Peter have it on his list? No, no, no. Now and then, um, do you have it on your list? No. no. How about uh, Mr. Alan Johnson? Yeah, G. Allen has it number five. All right. So, all right. So the highbrow critics uh, have it. Uh, me, Alan. <laughs> Wakanda. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is a really well-directed movie, very intense movie by Paul Schrader, who. Of course, is best known for having written Taxi Driver, but also directed some really hard-hitting movies. And this is a this is a movie, and he's made some bad movies in his time. This is a movie where he knew exactly what he wanted to say. He knew exactly how he wanted to say it. It's about a priest going through a crisis of confidence. He's a, like, well, actually, I guess, a Protestant minister mm-hmm. in a 
church in, uh, I believe, upstate New York. I think, yeah. Upstate New York, uh, which is a kind of an economically... Um, you know, d- depressed. Yeah, depressed mm-hmm. area, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's why, that's why, like, every time there's an election, mm-hmm. New York... New York has fewer electoral votes is because there's no jobs and people move out. But anyway, First Reform stars Ethan Hawke, and it's about a, a kind of crisis of the spirit that borrows in its story uh, a lot from Ingmar Bergman, actually. It borrows from a movie Maybe called... that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it borrows from a movie called Winter Light, and it actually borrows characters from Winter Light. Um, for example... That a wife goes to a priest and says, "I want you to talk to my husband. He's very depressed, and he's very depressed about it, like a, a like a, something going on in the world." In Winter Light, he's depressed about nuclear, the possibility of nuclear annihilation. In this, he's worried about the about global, uh, about, I guess, climate change. We call it. And uh, and then there's another character of a woman that that the priest kind of, or the minister really neglects. He's kind of mean to her. And that's a character straight out of Bergman. But then it, this is like Bergman as reimagined by a complete maniac, uh, which is Paul Schreider, Schrader as an artist. I think this is also an extremely Christian movie, and it's Christian in a, in a very distinctly Schrader sort of way. It's, it's a Christian movie, like a, a laying in the, it's like a, in a sleeping in the street, hairy knuckles sort of Christian way rather than in a, a kind of, uh, you know, kind of shiny church sort of way. And um, I, I thought it was extraordinary. And I'm glad that people seem to be remembering it a little bit at the end of the year, which I'm glad to see. I think my problem with the movie is, is more me. Uh, as you said, the Ingmar Bergman, who I always have to sit and think about, but I do like a lot of Ingmar Bergman, but I'm also not a Christian, and I found absolutely nothing I could relate to, and I'm not the most spiritual person either, so to me it was like, and and there were scenes in there I'm going, what is going on here? So to me that's how I felt about the movie. I I, I do like Ethan Hawke. I think he's an underrated actor, and he is getting a lot of notice. Yeah, it's good. You know, he's really good in Juliet Naked, too. And he's really, you know, nothing about Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke is really good, you know? Yeah. There's a reason why Ethan Hawke is really good in every movie. It's because Ethan Hawke is really good. Yeah. He's only been bad in one movie. That was that horrible Marty. Oh, that's the one you hate. Did you see him in Marty? I understand. you got to see him in Marty. I mean, and the one that I really thought he was. I mean, made. of course, the, the one I really thought he was terrific in, really, I thought should have won the Oscar was for Boyhood. Well, I would recommend, you know, the boy is great in Boyhood. That would be supporting for Boyhood. That would have been great. Mm-hmm. But now I highly recommend everybody watch Marty, have a few drinks, whatever, and then sit there, settle in and watch Marty as a comedy. You won't make it through the whole thing, but I mean, it is mm-hmm. funny because they're both, they're both so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only him, but also, uh, what's the name of the actress in Marty? Um, the, uh, Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins. That's it. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> good. Yeah. They're both good normally, but oh, they're so bad in that movie. It's kind of wonderful. Uh, my next one is one that I know Mick is not too fond of. It's it's if Beale Street could talk. It's yeah. um, Barry Jenkins' latest. Um, he got the rights to uh, James Baldwin's novel to write the screenplay. Yeah. I kind of thought it was wonderful and masterful. Um, I thought it was magical in many ways. Um, and yeah. you were talking about New York, and to me, one of the, again, the beauties was watching a lot of those scenes of New York City waft by me. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I thought there's 
Great acting in there, especially from it's Regina King and Arjuna Ellis, I believe is her first name. Uh, she's the uh, mother. The mother. She's the, only in one scene. Oh, she's great. And she, I mean, she's great. And Regina King, who I think is going to be a player for the uh, award season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I and uh, Kiki Lane, and um, I just thought it was a, a lovely, wonderful movie dealing with you know grow, being black in in Manhattan in those days, which was like horrible. And many, and, like as we're finding out now, which is really good that these movies are coming out. Well, uh, did you ever read the book? No. See, okay. If you start reading the book, you just sort of realize within twenty pages what's wrong with the movie. Uh, if that is, if you don't like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, this movie contains two or three amazingly good scenes, like really some of the best scenes. And and in, in the in discussing the woman who plays, is it her mother? No, his her mother. Her mother, Regina King, or his mother. His Regina King is whose mother? Is is Kiki Lane's mother? She's his mother-in-law. Right. Okay. Or, yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. So the okay. So then, uh, okay. So then the. The 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 his mother, mother of his mother, yeah, she's in one scene, and she is so good. And when you're talking about the guy who is in Blind Spotting, the guy who plays the cop, Ethan Embry, mm-hmm. I really have always I've always thought that there should be a category for best best featured role, which would be best small part, where people come on in one scene and they're really amazing. Well, just best scene, best acting in one scene type of thing. Well, just make it a featured yeah. role. So if they're in two scenes, it's still okay. Mm-hmm. But you can just nominate him for it because. That would be a candidate. She is really wonderful in that. Um, so I think there's at least two great scenes, maybe three great scenes in the movie. I do think though that the movie is incredibly slow. So it's like there's a scene, and then there's like a whole song will go, and then there's a scene, and then there's a whole song. And I've liked this guy's movies. In fact, I loved his first movie, um, Mel- Medicine Bar- for Melancholy. Yeah, which was set in San Francisco. And and I really also I, I mean I gave a great review and I really liked his his second movie as well La La Land, La yeah right yeah <laughs> let's open the envelope it's not La La Land, um, but anyway uh, that's Moonlight just yeah, in case moon, <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you were been out of of the country for like you yeah know. but uh, yeah I just so I, I just thought it was just far too slow and yeah. I just it completely lost me but at the same time you know there there I see what what I see the good that's in it. Um, it's, what's really weird for me is that you know I have a tendency to hate slow moving movies. Yeah. And um which is one of my problems with Roma. Uh but for some reason I was just entranced and entranced through the whole movie. No, that's good. Sometimes yeah. you know if yeah. movies hit you right and or they hit you wrong, I I'm always yeah. a little bit I'm I tell you I, I'm kind of daunted by some just the variance of, of opinion even mm-hmm. within myself. I you know, I I showed uh, I I sometimes I'll see you know I, I get these these movies and then I I show them again to people and as I'm watching them a second time I like them a lot less and I and maybe I've you know already said that this is so great and then I just wonder is it you know is it the circumstances in which I'm watching it Do, have I really changed my mind am I watching with a less attention am I watching it at the wrong time of day. Um, Anyway, my ninth is Black Klansman, which we've already talked about. And my tenth is, is not on anybody's list, list, but I was very charmed by it. I only saw it recently. I was on vacation when this came out, and that's Crazy Rich Asians, which uh, which I really liked. And I know that uh, was kind of a borderline case for, for most of you guys, but I, I just thought it was just totally fun. 
I thought it was totally fun in that Hallmark Lifetime movie of the week kind of way. I, I said, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to give this 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I had no I had no temptation to, uh, you know, move ahead and, all right, let's just see how this thing ends or anything like that. I just I just thought it was a lot of fun. What is your... Uh, well, my ninth movie is Blind Spotting, which we talked about as well. And my tenth is Love, Simon, which you could make a case for also being a Hallmark uh, yeah, in a way. You know, yeah. In a way, it's about a young teenager who's gay and and hasn't ex- actually come out. He has a secret admirer who's gay, and it's just this coming of age movie and discovery, and it's just fun. It's lovely. It's funny. It's poignant. And again, I just you know, I again, I thought I would watch it for five minutes, and I just was just it, you know, trapped into it and really loved it a lot. So yeah, I loved Love Simon. I liked I liked Love Simon a lot. I, I was going to review it, but then um, our editor, our, the uh, the late David Wiegand, who died about a month later, decided to review it. And he didn't like it, mm-hmm. uh, but I think his was a kind of a minority opinion mm-hmm. because it was it was a good it was movie. A movie. I mean, it's not going to change the world, but yeah. I thought it was a pretty yeah. nice movie. Uh, um, what did you? One of the movies I left off was uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yeah, that Bohemian was like Rhapsody. My, I think that was my borderline movie there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, I sat through the whole movie enjoying every second of it, but then I said I could see problems with it here and there. I, the thing that, that, I, that, that kind of just didn't grab me about it was that I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I think, I think Rami Malek did about as good as, as anybody could do, but he just seems just, I don't know, he just seemed physically wrong for the role, and, mm-hmm. and, and he was doing so much mm-hmm. teeth acting. That, uh, but even then, I could I could deal with that. I, I mean, I think if you're doing Freddie Mercury, you have to do a lot of teeth acting because <laughs> he was doing a lot of you know teeth mm-hmm. teeth stuff. But uh, you know when they'd say you're a legend, you're a legend. Some of the, the some of the moments in that movie were kind of corny. I saw it. I saw it though with a very happy audience at the Castro. I thought it was a good movie, but not a great movie. You know, it's funny. Nobody has said this, so I guess it struck me. And I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not announcing I'm not gay because I'm afraid you're going to think I'm gay. But I saw this movie, and I was thinking, and and I saw it with a gay friend, and we were saying, is this movie kind of anti-gay? I've had and a few people that were upset, not those anti-gay, that they um, cast a heterosexual man to play a gay character. Oh, that's that to me. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's I, like saying, so, you know, I, yeah. I, I just, I, I hate that way no. of thinking. I really do. I, it's just people are acting. You get the ideal actor for the role. I, I don't, I don't like that. But no, but th- this is why. This is, um, uh, this is what I thought, and and a friend of mine thought, and then, but then his his husband. Mm-hmm said you're not you're both nuts you know mm-hmm. so it and and we haven't heard anybody else say this but to me the way the movie is set up and this doesn't have anything to do with whether i think it's a good movie or not but it the movie is kind of set up in a way it's like oh man he had this nice girlfriend if if only he wasn't gay he could have married her and then he wouldn't have even died <laughs> you know so that's that's that to me was like what the feeling of the movie was now the thing is his relationship with that woman was really seriously as intense as that. That was real. That was a real thing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he left her. He left her his fortune. And he said, well, you know, she would have gotten it anyway if we got married. So you may as well give it to her. So that part was real. So, And nobody else has mentioned it. So I guess it must be okay. 
Um, but that's just something that crossed my mind. I just know when I saw the movie, um, mm-hmm. Mick had already seen it, and I called him up immediately and said, you are so wrong, it's out of the chair. And he goes, you and my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, again, yeah. if it's a woman. I mean, I'm not a I Queen uh, fan. I was never, like, really – I didn't hate them or like them. It was not my – per se my genre or feel I like some songs had good time at parties with them but I I just wonder if there's something that women really like this movie I think better than I don't, men. I I think, don't know I, don't, I think I think you and Amy are not enough yeah. of a survey for this but the um, um, other just one other there's a lot we could talk about Peter Hartlove for example uh, liked uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Paddington 2 and uh, Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. Oh, wow. And, um, He's going full but, on Oakland. Uh, and Annihilation. But um, I just have to mention another Walter, which we cannot leave out of this discussion. Oh, yeah, what's he got? Won't You Be My Neighbor, the oh. Mr. Rogers documentary. And it is delightful. I like that Walter put that at number two. Yes. This is where he shows his true soft side. <laughs> I like that. So, Lee, why don't you just read your top ten from start to finish? Okay, my there. top ten. Number one, Black Klansman. Number two, Green Book. Number three, Death of Stalin. Number four, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Number five, Black Panther. Number six, American Animals. Number seven, Cold War. Number eight, If Beale Street Could Talk. Number nine, Blind Spotting. Number 10, Love, Simon. And my top 10 is number one, Vox Lux. Number two, Disobedience. Number three, The Oath. Number four, Blind Spotting. Number five, Mission Impossible Fallout. Number six, Let the Sun Shine In. Number seven, Green Book. Number eight, First Reformed. Number nine, Black Klansman. And number 10, Crazy Rich Asians. And, um, and you know, I just want to say just some of the movies, some of the, you know, some of the other movies that I thought were really good. And, and there were more than just this. But there's also... Uh, a lot of good documentaries this year, a lot of good music documentaries. Like, I loved, but I'm interested in this, but I love Bad Reputation about Joan Jett, but also Whitney was terrific. Maria Baikalis was terrific. These are really good documentaries. And there was, you know, Love Gilda, I saw was outstanding. Love Gilda was great. And I liked RBG. RBG That's was... That's Ginsburg. I, and speaking of RBG, On the Basis of Sex, have you seen that? Yes. Did you like it? Yes, my my problem with the movie is stupid, is that looking at her and knowing it's a real person, I just can't relate. She's so beautiful, Felicity Jones, and so British looking, well, she, that I just can't. And Army Hammer is so handsomely. She, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think I, I, if I was going to make a mm-hmm. criticism of Felicity Jones, and this is a very mild mm-hmm. criticism, but she doesn't seem Jewish. Exactly. Neither does Army, and that's the, yeah. The, the two, that's that was my. But you know flaw, something. But the movie her is husband, highly entertaining. Her husband Ginsburg. Did you ever, did you ever see her husband, yes. Marty Ginsburg? Army Hammer and Ginsburg are kind of no. You don't think so? No. No, no. I'm nodding my head now. No. No. Okay. No, not at all. Army no. was Army is like wasp personified. He's totally wasp personified, but. Uh, but he's good. No, but he's good. Yeah. yeah. I I thought it was funny when you see Ruth Ginsburg and. And their husband start to have sex because it's like exactly not the way you think of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was another issue too, you know? exactly. But, a- but anyway, mm. but but um, I you know the uh, I love the ending of the movie where oh my giving away the ending it's a visual thing. Anyway. She gets named to the Supreme Court. Yeah, uh. <laughs> well that yeah well no there's a there's a nice there's just a nice visual thing where Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself shows up in the movie. And I saw I saw this one at the Castro too, 
and everybody went nuts. It was like everybody just started sharing. And it was. <laughs> I I imagine there are people listening to this podcast in Alabama and have absolutely no <laughs> I, idea what planet this is. That but, but, that but, but, just Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's like it's like you know the. the it's like a rock star. And, and, and the politics should get it, but I just, you know, she hurt her ribs just recently, and, and the left, of course, is extremely worried about, you know, Supreme Court. Yes, And sure. some comic, comic wit said, rapper and bubble rap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, too, a lot of, you know, good good foreign movies. There's a, there's a movie that absolutely would have made my top ten. I mentioned Jean-Luc Godard earlier. This movie is, is called Godard, Mon Amour. And this, you know, this is by the guy who did... Um, did the artist, the, the, which is the silent movie, and so you know, and he also did movies that kind of uh, take the style of the the '60s spy movies. What this guy did was he did uh, a, a a movie that's based on a book by the ex-wife, one of Godard's ex-wives, and it's about the period where Godard was trying to get into politics. You know, he was really getting it politically interested, and. The movie does something amazing. It is, it, it's a Godard movie. He imitates the style of a Godard movie, but the movie is about what an idiot Godard was. <laughs> so it's so vicious where Godard, it's like a takedown of Godard, but it's the best Godard movie in like 50 years. One, give me an example of the kind of things they do of like a Godard movie is that him and his wife are standing there talking about whether nude scenes should happen in movies, whether nudity is good in movies, and they're both completely naked as they're having this conversation. They're arguing about whether there should be a nude scene in a movie. That's like straight out of Godard. That's something that he would have done in the 60s. So anyway, that's a good movie. And then, you know, there's also like really good movies that that could have made my top 10 in a slower year, like Hotel Artemis, you know. I thought that was really, really a good movie with Jodie Foster. But anyway, what else can we say? How do we sum up uh, the year? It was a good year, I it guess. A, it was a very good year. All right, so that's it for now. And uh, thank you for listening. And for the San Francisco Chronicle and Lieber Hertz, I'm Mick LaSalle. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Mick LaSalle and Leba Hertz. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Mozart's Symphony 40 in G minor by Blue Dot Sessions. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.